The work of this church in the world is realized through the generous financial support of all who call this place home. Along with the gifts and time and talent, ours is a shared ministry. You have a role to play here. Church membership is open to all. For more information, go to uusf.org.
Good morning and welcome to the first Unitarian Universalist Society of San Francisco. Our senior minister, Vanessa Rush Southern, is on vacation and I'm happy to be here with Sam King, my worship associate, this morning. We are a community, a religious community that shares both griefs and joys. And as, as is our custom, I'm sorry to have to tell you this morning of two deaths. One, Sonia Dafu, who died at the beginning of July, a member, she lived at the Broadmoor on Sutter Street. She was active in the SCW Scholarship Committee and she sang in the choir. And in memory of her life and in thanksgiving for her participation in our community, we extinguish a candle. And also, I'm very sorry to have to tell you of the death of Rob Eller Isaacs, who was not a member of this church. He was minister of the Oakland Church. And in colleagueship with his wife, Jan, John Marsh and I, when we when ministers here, often exchange pulpits. And he's preached here often. And he's been a very good friend to this congregation. He, in 2000, was called to the Unity Church in St. Paul, Minnesota, which he served with his wife, Jan, and very sadly died after an illness on July the 22nd. We extinguish a candle in his memory with gratitude. We are a community that supports one another, both in good times, as we experienced just recently with the wonderful wedding of Linda and Marty, and in sad times when we announce the death of members. We help one another. That's what it means to be in community. So let us now join in singing our first hymn, number 18, What Wondrous Love Is This?
and now our chalice lighting. We light this chalice for the light of truth, the warmth of love, and the fire of commitment. We light this symbol of our faith as we gather together. And now for some brief invitations. First of all, if this is your first time with us, whether in person or virtually, welcome. We are glad to have you here. Joe Chapeau is uh, monitoring the chat uh, in the live stream. If you have any uh, support that you need, please reach out there. And also, please feel free to introduce yourselves in the chat. Also, uh, please feel free to follow along in the order of service. Uh, you should have one if you're in the sanctuary. And then also, if you are online, you can see a link in, uh, in the YouTube channel description. Uh, in addition to that, there's a connections form, if this is your first time, so that you can uh, get our electronic newsletter, as well as stay in touch for uh, other forms of events. If you're in person, there are connections forms right on the welcome table outside. I also wanted to highlight a couple of events that are going on. One of them uh, is next Sunday after service. You can see it in your order of service. And it is a letter writing campaign for you, you, the vote. This will help us put our values into action. Uh, and just one connect, uh, correction there is that in the order of service, it's listed as being Saturday, July 31st. That is, in fact, Sunday, July 31st after next week's service. Also. Uh, today, after the service, uh, Reverend John Burens, uh, did you want to wave? Uh, he'll be right up front here, uh, and he'll be uh, doing a tour as well as an orientation on, on UUSF. So if you're interested in learning more, uh, please uh, attend to that. Uh, the last thing I wanted to mention is that our offering today will be for Up on Top. Up on Top is an after-school and summer program for youth in the Tenderloin. Uh, and so uh, when you're making your offering uh, later on today, you can note special offering in today's date. That is uh, all of our invitations for this morning. Uh, now please rise and join me in our spoken covenant and sung doxology. The words are printed in your order of service. Love is the spirit of this church, and service is its prayer. This is our great covenant, to dwell together in peace, to seek the truth in freedom, and to help one another. My sermon topic this morning is, what are we going to do? What am I going to do? 
And this poem I'm going to read by Stanley Kunitz is about life and how we go through many changes, how we regret some things, we lose much, and yet it's not the end. We turn, we turn, and we can still make choices. So this is The Lairs by Stanley Kunitz. I have walked through many lives, some of them my own, and I am not who I was. Though some principle of being abides from which I struggle not to stray. When I look behind, as I am compelled to look, before I can gather strength to proceed on my journey. I see the milestones dwindling toward the horizon and the slow fires trailing from the abandoned campsites over which scavenger angels wheel on heavy wings. Oh, I have made myself a tribe out of my true affections, and my tribe is scattered. How shall the heart be reconciled to its feast of losses? In a rising wind, the manic dust of my friends, those who fell along the way, bitterly stings my face. Yet I turn, I turn exultant somewhat, with my will intact to go wherever I need to go, and every stone on the road precious to me. In my darkest night, when the moon was covered and I roamed through wreckage, a nimbus clouded voice directed me, live in the lairs, not on the litter. Though I lack the art to decipher it, no doubt the next chapter in my book of transformations is already written. I am not done with my changes.
When I try to figure out what I'm going to do, really, that's a question of decision-making. How do I weigh two options and make a decision? At work, even when a decision is hard, I have very little patience for indecisiveness. Sure, I'll let everybody try to figure it out on their own, I'll listen to different viewpoints, but when the team can't figure it out, then in 10 seconds, I'll make a decision, in 20 seconds, everybody will be happy about it. It's not as though I know everything, it's not that my decisions are always right. The reason that I force myself to be assertive is because people spend a lot of time making decisions that just really don't matter. There's a word for this, bike shedding. The idea is that people spend more time worrying about problems that are relatable instead of problems that are important. I'll explain. If a problem is important, then there's probably a dedicated expert putting together a report, and you might not even bother reading it or fact-checking it. You might just go ahead with it because they're the expert. You don't know that much about it. But if we're talking about what color to paint a bike shed, everybody can relate. Everybody has an opinion, and everybody's going to chime in. At work, I'm great at shutting down bike shedding, but in my personal life, surrounded by bike sheds on all sides. When I got a new health insurance from my work, my primary care physician was out of network, and I still haven't gotten a new checkup since then, because I haven't chosen between the thousands of possibilities nearby. Even when it's not something as important as health, any time I want to buy something new, I have to check the reviews, I have to try to find something that's durable and sustainable and humanely made and a reasonable price and say no to plenty of good options that just aren't perfect. And doesn't that even sound exhausting? The paradox of choice, when there's more options, usually makes it harder to make a decision rather than easier. Maybe it's no coincidence that my favorite ice cream place is Smitten. Four flavors, no samples. All of it is excellent, but it makes the decision much easier. Some of my friends have described my preference for such a limited ice cream parlor as objectively wrong, and said that the true ice cream experience should be more like a salt and straw with dozens of flavors, and you spend a long time in line and you get a sample of everything. Uh, my design school professors might have called that those ice cream samples rapid prototyping to find the best flavor. And don't get me wrong, as a kid, I was all about those free samples. But as an adult, I don't want to be a kid in a candy store. I just want something delicious and then be on with my day. Honestly, that's the one trick I've found for making decisions in my personal life. Just don't do it. Uh, avoid making decisions at all costs. Decisions are hard. Get a favorite place, form a habit, whatever it takes. I mean, look at me today. Black shoes, black pants, black jacket, solid color shirt. Uh, and that's just like every other time you've seen me up here. And because I'm meticulous about scripting out my reflections, I don't even have to think about what to say. No decisions up here either. I know that we still have a few minutes before the time for prayer and meditation, but I did also want to say a brief prayer. May your day be full of joy and peace, and may you go through it without needing to make a single decision. And may no one tell me that Smitten Ice Cream and Patricia's Green closed during the pandemic. Blessed be. And now, our offering for Up on Top will be given and gratefully received. If you're donating online, please select the special offering choice to make your gift. Uh, and if you're writing a check, please mark in the memo today's date and special offering 7-24-22. Thank you.
I want to begin our time of silent meditation and prayer with a reading by Teilhard de Chardin, the French Jesuit priest, scientist, paleontologist, theologian, philosopher, who died in 1955, who was greatly influenced by the work of Darwin. This meditation reading is an invitation to, to you, to me, to all of us, to go down into the deeper place of deep breathing, into the layers. I took the lamp and leaving the zone of everyday occupations and relationships where everything seems clear, I went down into my innermost self, to the deep abyss whence I feel dimly that my power of action emanates. But as I moved further and further away from the conventional certainties by which social life is superficially illuminated, I became aware that I was losing contact with myself. At each step of the descent, a new person was disclosed within me of whose name I was no longer sure and who no longer obeyed me. And when I had to stop my exploration because the path faded from beneath my steps, I found a bottomless abyss at my feet and out of it came, arriving I know not from where, the current which I dare to call my life. Let us now take a few moments of silence going into that deeper place deep within us. Amen and amen.
Sam, thank you for your reflection and for giving me a new word, bike shedding. I love that. Shall I paint it blue or pink or green? What color shall the bike shed be? But uh, you choose not to, to dwell in the multiple choices. You choose to go to an ice cream store that has four choices only, so that that makes it fairly simple for you. I remember years ago reading about people buying strawberry jam at the grocery store. And if you went into a big supermarket and there were 20 kinds of strawberry jam on the shelves, it was overwhelming, it was too much, and sometimes people would just leave the store without buying any strawberry jam at all. Whereas if you went to your grocery store and there was just one or two pots of strawberry jam, that was much easier. So that's a little bit like Sam going to Smitten. But this morning I'm wanting to explore what would happen if one evening, a lovely summer evening in San Francisco, but warm, Sam decided to walk down the street and go to Smitten to get one of his lovely favorite ice cream cones. But the door was shut. Not only shut, but there was a notice on it saying, gone out of business. Sometimes we make choices, and they seem to be good choices. But then, as they say, life happens. Many, many years ago, I was at a workshop called Telling Our Stories. And we went around the group of maybe 15, 18 of us, beginning at 10 years old, what we were doing when we were 10 years old. And then a decade later, 20. And then a decade later, 30. And what was so poignant about these telling our stories was that I remember somebody at 20 saying, oh, I'm going to go ahead and get a PhD in such and such a subject, and I think I'll have a child, but I don't want to be married. And um, at 30, things hadn't worked out. She'd had a very serious illness. She'd had to drop out of her PhD program. Things were different. And that is what so often happens in life. We make plans, we have ideas, we have our route ahead very clearly in our minds, and then something happens. And this is what I think Stanley Kunitz is writing about at the first part of the poem, which I'm going to read again. I have walked through many lives some of them my own, and I am not who I was, though some principle of being abides from which I struggle not to stray. When I look behind, as I'm compelled to look before I can gather strength to proceed on my journey, I see the milestones dwindling toward the horizon, the slow fires trailing from the abandoned campsites over which scavenger angels wheel on heavy wings. I had thought I would be all sorts of things. I thought I would be a painter to begin with. And then I thought I would be a furniture designer because I needed to earn a living. And then I met Peter, and I came to America. And so I had to start all over again. And that was a good decision because all sorts of wonderful things came out of that, but I had to readjust. I had to ask myself, what am I going to do now? Sometimes life happens and we are, we are caught short. We don't know how to deal with it. It's not what we wanted. Epictetus is a Stoic philosopher who was born in 50 in the Common Era, born with a lot of problems in his life. He was lame, he was small, he was enslaved and taken to Rome, 
and only later emancipated, he began to go into the forum and listen to some of the philosophers who were speaking there of a way of being in the world, because you can't always choose what happens to you, but you can choose how you will be with it. And this way of being in the world that the Stoic philosophers were speaking of was a way of calmness, a way of peacefulness, not reactive. And later, Epictetus was expelled from Rome and went to Greece when he was 40 and started himself teaching. And although he never wrote anything, his teachings were written down by a, by a pupil of his. And in one of these, he writes about going to the public baths where he's looking forward to having a, a nice bath in the, in the public pool, and then imagining him to himself what it might be like. He writes, or he said, if you're going to bathe, place before yourself what happens in the bath. Some splashing the water, others pushing one against another, others abusing one another, and some stealing, and thus, with more safety, you will undertake the matter if you say to yourself, I now intend to bathe and to maintain my will in a manner conformable to my nature. And so you will do for every act. If any hindrance to bathing happens, let this thought be ready. It is not this only that I wanted, but I intended also to maintain my will in a way conformable to nature but I shall not maintain it so if I'm vexed at what happens. So Epictetus had realized that he couldn't, couldn't determine everything that happens in his life, but he was able to choose how he wanted to be with it. And this is the big lesson that I didn't learn for at least 40 years of my life. I thought that when things happened, I reacted. It was normal, everybody would. And I would say things like, oh, she makes me so angry, or that really irritated me. I didn't realize I had a choice. I'm not a stoic. I don't believe that I can possibly in this lifetime disattached from my emotions. But I do believe and, and, and realize that I can learn a great deal from Epictetus and other Stoics. There's um, an incident I remember when I had just entered Starking School for the ministry. I was in my mid-40s. And um, I came home one day, we lived in Berkeley, and my sat down at the dining room table to have lunch quickly to go back to classes. And one of my teenage children came in and dumped themselves rather aggressively in the chair across from me, and then started to be really rude and um, unpleasant. And everything in me wanted to say, don't speak like that to your mother, behave yourself, which wouldn't have been very successful. And for some reason, I was able just to pause, to pause and breathe. I didn't respond. And as I breathed, I realized I can choose. I don't have to react to this rudeness. And so I got up and walked quietly away. It was a small moment, but it was very pivotal in my understanding of what was possible, what I could do. No, not what I could do, how I could be. And I want to come back to the Kunitz poem for the second reading from that, which is about struggles and losses and many of the things that have happened over the past years which we couldn't choose. 
the assault on the capital, which was the denial of the peaceful right of succession in our presidency, COVID, Ukraine, homelessness, which we see all around us. I don't need to enumerate the, the problems, the, the sadnesses, the griefs, the onslaughts that we have faced over the past three years none of which we chose. So this is what Kunitz writes. Oh, I have made myself a tribe out of my true affections, and my tribe is scattered. How shall the heart be reconciled to its feast of losses? In a rising wind, the manic dust of my friends, those who fell along the way, bitterly stings my face. It's not only people that we've lost in the past few years. It's also things that we valued, things that we'd hoped for, things that we'd worked for, peace in the world. Europe as united with Britain being part of it. More equality and less inequality. More justice and less discrimination and shootings and the awful shootings that we've lived through. But even in the face of so much, I believe we can still choose. We have the option. How are we going to be with this? Are we going to be bitter, depressed, thinking of how awful it is for us? Or can we turn, as Kunitz says, turn, with my will intact to go wherever I need to go, and every stone on the road precious to me? In my darkest night, when the moon was covered and I roamed through wreckage. A nimbus-clouded voice directed me, live in the lairs, not in the litter. Though I lack the art to decipher it, no doubt the next chapter in my book of transformations is already written. I am not done with my changes. None of us are done with our changes. We can practice learning how we want to be in the face of a world which is not the way we want it to be. My daughter Sarah, when her children were little, would talk to them about strengthening their muscles. She'd say, you know, you can strengthen your generosity muscle, or you can strengthen your patience muscle, and I believe that we can strengthen our tranquility muscles, our freedom to choose how we want to be muscles. And for me, part of this comes through a daily meditation practice. For 40 years, although I'm still very much a beginner, I've been trying to strengthen my meditation muscle to achieve some kind of tranquility in the face of a world and events that I didn't choose. And for me, this daily meditation is not just, not just helpful, it's necessary if I want to try to live my values. And I believe that any practice, breath watch, centering prayer, loving kindness, meditation, any of these can help save us not only from reacting, but despair. Daily practice strengthens us to become the way we want, which I believe is justice-seeking, peacemaking. In the Jewish tradition, tikkun olam means to heal the world. 
My prayer is that by whatever means, each of us may learn to practice tikkun olam. Please remain seated while we sing Donna Nobis Parchem as a prayer. And we will sing it three times. And please just breathe into it, sing along if you want. But just this is a time for us to, to heal.
we have the power to choose how we want to be. May we be peacemakers. Tikkun Olam.